Hello and welcome to the 551 podcast. My name is Wes Berdine and I am very pleased uh, to be joined by by two gentlemen. The first gentleman coming back for his sophomore appearance is uh, is Rodrigo Sanchez Chavarria, uh, our Peruvian comrade. Uh, welcome back. It's nice to be back. Nice to be back. Yeah. Um, on the phone as well is the Flying Dutchman, Alex Schieferdecker in West Philadelphia. You, sir, how are you? I'm doing well. How are you guys? I think uh, collectively we're doing well. Individually, we're both we're 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 pushing through, but we're gonna we're gonna make Greater it. Better than some of your parts. I like it. Yeah. Um. So on this on this week's uh, episode, we are going to talk about. Um, We've got the good, the bad, and the weird, and the weird includes big lawsuit against uh, U.S. soccer that was uh, that was uh, you know announced this afternoon. Uh, we've got uh, the bad of of Minnesota United and the good of Minnesota United all in one. And then uh, at the end of the podcast, apparently all the questions are we're just we've become a food podcast. So <laughs> I hope that you both have prepared. All of, all of your family recipes that you're going to be sharing. But you've got your panna kuchen recipe, Alex, ready? Yep. Okay. Uh, all right, let's do, uh, we've got uh, music coming from uh, Big Quarters, and then we'll come back and we start with the good, the bad, and the weird. Welcome back to the 55-1 Podcast. I'm Wes Berdine. Rodrigo and Alex are with me. Alex is with us, you know, in more of an, a metaphysical, oral state as well. But uh, let's start with this uh, good. Uh, yesterday, uh, on Monday, Minnesota United announced uh, Chris Wright, who is currently the president of the Minnesota Timberwolves, as the new CEO of Minnesota United. Uh, it was... It was uh, Announced as a huge announcement on Sunday, they they put out this press release. Um, Alex, maybe I'll, I'll have you start with this, which is should like do fans care or or should they or what? How should we think about this? Yeah, a fan should should care. Um, you know, you're not going to go to the stadium and and make a giant tifo for Chris Wright, but this is important. I think that Minnesota United sometimes. Um, hypes announcements like this one is a huge announcement because within the front office, it is a huge announcement and they're not really thinking, okay, well, fans aren't going to really know who this guy is or care much about it, but it is a big deal in the office. And I, I, uh, I trust them on that thing. I think that it's always good to have people with the kind of experience that, Chris Wright has. He's been working in sports for his entire life, and he's been working in this specific market for 20 plus years. And 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 as he sort of noted in some of the materials that the team released, he's been involved with the Timberwolves when they were just starting. He's been with the Lynx when they started. You know, he has experience in sports brands that are just sort of starting out to make a real impact in the market. And, you know, even though all of us have been fans of this team for so long, that's the reality for most people is that this is an, is this is a brand new expansion club. And so I think that 
you can almost say that an appointment of someone like Chris Wright is overdue, but it's definitely better late than never for this team. Yeah, I don't I don't know a thing about the Timberwolves. I've been to one game. Uh they're not on my radar in the least. Um but I did uh I, I did kind of text some people, you know, and just who who are who who follow basketball, who know it really well, um and and who are kind of aware of who who know Chris Wright and things like that. They they were all really excited about this this move. So I and these are people who whose opinions I trust and so I got I I felt much more comfortable about it. So um the the bad uh is and there's various reasons this is bad. Atlanta absolutely demolished in midweek uh the New England Revolution 7 to nothing against nine men. I I believe the Revolution did not muster a single shot. Um and then on the weekend history that no team has ever had a shot on shot. Yeah, the shot a goal, a shot. Yeah. Just beautiful. Um, and then this week, uh, Jay Heaps is fired after five years, I think. Um, Maybe more than uh, that. You yeah. know, uh, it just the New England Revolution are just, just terrible. Well, they didn't just lose to Atlanta. They then, on the weekend, got an, got another really early red card and lost. Uh, I think it was four zero um, to a team who I can't remember, but. They basically lost by double digits to zero over the course of two games. And yeah, it's difficult for a coach to survive that, especially when you're, you're, uh, you're struggling to, um, when, when you haven't, you know, you're unlikely to make the playoffs again. Sorry, I got that wrong. They lost three, three, one to sporting. Um, okay. Are, are they, are the revolution the worst run, uh, club in, in MLS? right now i mean i think the union might come close <laughs> okay uh, i think that the i mean i think that the revs will be a good run team when they get a stadium i i, I just get the sense that they're all everything that they want to do from a new logo to a you know bigger investment in the team it's all sort of gonna wait until they get a place in boston where they can really be, you know, where they can really tap into a city that is growing and that it has a lot of young people, a lot of, uh, uh, a lot of, you know, wealth. And, and, and I think that they, they're just in the wrong spot. And I, I think that when they move to Boston, whenever that will be, hopefully sooner rather than later, I think that we'll see them become one of the league's more interesting, more interesting clubs. Until then. Yeah. And let's shoot to the weird. Well, the weird you, you teased at the beginning. You know, I thank goodness we, we, uh, we just, that we couldn't record this podcast, uh, yesterday on Monday, uh, that we had to record it on Tuesday night because on Tuesday afternoon, uh, the NASL dropped a lawsuit, uh, against USSF, the US soccer. Uh, alleging antitrust violations, basically saying that U.S. soccer is operating a, a sort of a cartel, and uh, because of their divisional requirements, uh, they are uh, not fair. They're 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 unfairly uh, keeping NASL down. Um, I think that the big question, Wes, is is like I can't 
I, I, I just even if NASL wins, I don't understand how this changes their situation. How, how do you feel about this? Uh, you know, since it launched or not launched, since we heard about it basically for, for, uh, at recording time uh, three hours ago, and most of that time I was feeding kids and stuff, I haven't had too much time to, to really dig into it. But one of the thoughts is that if they can get an injunction, it will prevent the D2 drop until uh until this lawsuit is over and then uh and then they can perhaps uh, have enough time to get some more teams and reapply for once they have 12 teams uh, and it will prevent uh, teams from being able to leave for free because you know they leave, they get to leave for free if they drop down to division three so maybe that's part of it um but it, it you know it, it smacks as a last gasp. And maybe that's that's literally where we were at. You know, I wrote an article this weekend or the on Friday that I just didn't publish because I didn't think it was very good. But it was basically trying to examine what are the options that could come out of this weekend uh, meeting that happened between all the owners. And this was definitely not one of the ones that I considered. But the ones I considered, I just came away from it thinking, God, these guys are so screwed. Um, it, there are no good options and there's literally no good options that will keep the cosmos and Miami alive, right? There's options where you could have a merger with USL, but cosmos and Miami aren't going along. So it's, it's desperate, but maybe that's, I mean, that's where they're at. And, and I do think that there is some truth to this antitrust stuff. Um, whether or not this lawsuit has any validity, I do think that there's a little bit of us soccer, and MLS and then USL all kind of working together. And maybe people feel like that's for the best of, uh, of the country, but it's not particularly fair business wise. Um, uh, so I, I don't know, but it is weird times continues to be weird times. And I'm, I'm amazed that no NASL people, uh, they just, they just weren't talking. Right. I mean, no, no one's talking to media. Why? Why have not they not learned this lesson before? Well, but. so this isn't a legal argument. No one mistake this for a legal argument. But four years ago, five years ago, was USL colluding with US Soccer to destroy NASL? Was there this? All of the things that NASL alleges. To me, part of this whole story is the fact that NASL has been so hostile. And has been so, you know, has, has from the beginning has, has targeted that top division spot. Now, yep. whether or not they were right to do so, whether or not they have a right to do so, I don't think you can argue back and forth. But from the beginning, NASL has not been playing with a strong hand, and yet they've been talking as if... They do. Yeah. They have been bluffing and like obviously bluffing for years. And so I, it is just hard for me to be sympathetic to the league w being in this situation when it's, it's, it is so much a, a path that they chose deliberately to go on, a path of confrontation that ultimately yeah. was I, always going to end this way, you feel. I, I, I will say this. I, you know, I don't want to go too long on the NASL part, but I will say this. Um, San Antonio Scorpions, when they left for USL, I, th I do think that they're, you know, and this is, this is something that NASL people firmly believe. And I, I think has some, 
uh, could have some merit to it, is that um, the Scorpions were told, you know, the new owners were told, hey, if you want to go to MLS, you should go to USL. And that it was kind of, a, you know, they were kind of uh, lured away um, in in a way that is is not really a fair playing ground. So, but when that happened, and, and we don't have to go again, but we don't have to go too deep in this, but when that happened, the NSL was already in trouble because Sacramento and Cincinnati and these other markets, these other organizations which really had their act together and were setting a new standard for this lower division, they were already going to USL. All of the expansion yeah. interest was already in USL at that time. Even if uh, the Scorpions and the San Antonio folks had never had dreams about any about MLS. Yeah, I think that I think that by that point the writing was basically on the wall, and that anyone, yeah. you know, I I think that I, at that point we were all talking about the NSL being in real trouble. Yeah. All right. Well, let's let's cut to a break and come back because I want to go through the uh, agony and ecstasy of Minnesota Unitedness. Uh, after this. Uh, welcome back to the 55-1 podcast. I'm Wes. Rodrigo, Alex are with me. And um, Rodrigo, you brought up something. You were, you were sitting quietly while we went into NASL world, and then you brought up a very good point in the no, break. Yeah, no, uh, from memory and from what I recall, um, it was la the, the year that, that FIFA had all the racketeering problems. Uh, there was also uh, an American, or uh, Aaron Davidson, you know, who was, I believe, a chairman of NSL, yeah. who who was indicted for racketeering, so he, he, he got busted. So that, that, should, that puts it in a different light as well of in what position the league is currently not on the good side and uh, and how that is. But I just thought that was just interesting. I thought I'd bring that up and see what you guys th thought about that. Well, I mean, from the beginning of NASL, Traffic was involved. Traffic was the Brazilian company that was we all knew was corrupt as hell. Um, and that was eventually a big part of this racketeering uh, case. And, you know, eventually the league did extricate itself from Traffic. But, yeah, they were, they were in in bed with um, a, a demon cock. And so, so not much else you can say. I think that's too, Let's make that a Sandra too. I think let's make that a Sandra too, uh, Last week we did, uh, I did a demon cock reference as well. So um, let's talk about, uh, speaking of uh, demon cock, Minnesota United and Vancouver. Uh, Vancouver 3 nothing, uh, three and Minnesota nothing. This was the midweek game. I don't want to talk about it because literally I didn't watch it. Um, so I've, I have three points I want to get, I want to, I want you guys to help me discuss, but my story was that I was going to go out it's midweek game. I usually don't get out to watch games, uh, and, and drink with friends and watch, uh, away games. And so I was like, I'm going to go do this. And someone else had texted me earlier. Like, do you want to go get a drink? I said, no, I'm, I'm going to go out and watch this away game. Uh, right as I'm walking out the door, I'm like, Oh, I'll, I'll look for the lineups. Uh, Johan Venegas starting in the hole. And I, I just went, 
okay, flip. And I just texted my friend, you still out at the bar? And I went and went to the bar with a bunch of friends. Haven't seen all of, and all of them in a while. So uh, it was a great night for me. I did not want to go into that dark space. And so I didn't watch any of it. I barely, I watched half of the highlights. That's it. So here's my first question. And this is for you, Alex. Your best friend in the whole wide world, Eric Hurtado, greatest striker of all time. He scored, didn't he? Yeah, he scored. <laughs> I mean, this was... All right, this, this, let's... Uh, this, this broke up an incredible goal drought for Eric Hurtado. Like, we were the ones... I think we were the first goal uh, that Eric Hurtado scored professionally since the Berlin Wall came down. So, yeah, uh, like, a huge goal drought. Almost a, a 28-year goal drought broken. <laughs> <laughs> uh Rodrigo, you are in love with your uh, uh Peruvian uh I guess lover, uh Jordi Reyna. <laughs> um uh, was it very difficult? Were you did you just cheer, cheer for Vancouver instead? Or Well, no, I mean the first time when Vancouver came to uh play United here at home, I was excited to go see trying to go see if I was going to be able to watch Jordi play. And lo and behold, I realized that he had uh, surgery not too long ago. And so he wasn't going to be able to make it. He wasn't even activated. So I was kind of mad about that. So I was just looking forward because I've seen him play in internationals and um, and, and um, in uh, World Cup qualifying games. And he's got some um, sass. He's got some... He's got some passing libidity. He's got some speed. He thinks well. And I just wanted to be able to see what it's like to, to see him on a field healthy. And, I mean, he he um, he um really worked well with that transition. I mean, I think he assisted in one in one goal, and then he scored one himself. So it was, uh, it was a combination either or. But it was, it was, it was nice to be able to, um, to see what he can do. And um, there's also, um, I think I made a Twitter comment that I, I would trade a thousand Venegas, Johan Venegas, for one Jordi Reina. Yeah, but that's uh, like basically like Zimbabwe current currency. Hey, so, you know, whatever we can get for yeah. Johan is 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 fine with um, me. So though he does make a good bouncer, it seems like it, right? <laughs> is it pronounced Jordi? Jordi yeah, Jordi right now. Mm-hmm. Okay, uh, for, I, I think all the commentators I was hearing say Jordi, and so I just yeah, yeah, it's the Y. Okay, so it's just a it's a complicated yeah, y. it's a, okay. it's a complicated Y in in Spanish. It's a little bit different, you know. The Y sounds a little bit more like a. Yeah, but no. Yeah, Jordi, Jordi, Jordi Reina, Jordi, Jordi Reina. So, okay. but he's a uh, you know he's one of the up and coming, um, you know. And there's I How think ah oh, gosh, he's in his twenties, so he's okay. a young guy. He's, yeah, I think I think uh, Orlando also signed another Peruvian defender, and so it looks like there's a surge of uh, Peruvian players being signed to the MLS, which is which is good for the MLS, I think, to be able to give uh, other options to other uh, other. Uh, countries to be able to send talent up and i'm looking forward to hopefully one day having um a peruvian on 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 the loon so well we we didn't mention i guess at the top of the show which is that um uh we did learn that manny uh is on a scouting trip in argentina paraguay and uruguay and that uh amos is on a scouting trip in belgium and so i started going through every possible player and i just realized (laughs) that like before, when I was looking at the Scandinavian scouting trip, I knew they were looking for people getting toward the end of their contracts. But some of these guys, if they're looking for a DP, 
you know, they might they might pay a little bit money uh, to get him out of a contract or something. So I, I just didn't even. It was like needle in a haystack, or you don't even needle in a needle stack. You don't. Know I mean, if they're looking for older players, Jose. I mean, Farfan is would be it'd be a great choice for my view. I mean, he's in his thirties and he's playing in Russia, I believe. So well, you wonder like though what you know what they're looking for i mean if if they're smart they're looking for calvos right they're looking for guys who um they can get i mean calvo is not being paid a ton of money comparatively 300 400,000 i mean it's it's i guess it's a lot for a defender in mls but um you know but he's a guy who uh, you can get a few good years out of maybe you can sell him and do something like that um if they can find south american talent like that that's that's not in their thirties, that's younger. That that would be fantastic. Yeah. I just think sometimes they're going to the places that everybody goes to: the Uruguay, Brazil. They go to a Argentina, where everybody else is looking for talent. I think. I mean, if you go to Bolivia, you go to Peru, you go to Ecuador. No one's going to the Galapagos no. Islands. Yeah, no, I mean, Hit who knows Galap- what you can find there? <laughs> Darwin found something, right? <laughs> um, last question about this is uh, Johan Venegas. Uh, uh, was he as bad as, 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 I mean, people were flipping out. Like I was in a Zen space because I didn't watch it, but people were flipping out after that game. Uh, it seems like the, the entire Minnesota United, uh, fan base has turned on him. Uh, was he as that bad or was it just, he, he, is he an easy scapegoat for a, an entire team of, uh, that was derelict in duty? I mean, he wasn't good, but he was not the reason that we lost 03 to Vancouver. He, I mean, I, I said before them, before the match that I would rather him play the number 10 than Kevin Molino. And Oh yeah. I forgot to people, grill you. Yeah, that. People took that to mean that I thought that Johan Venegas was good and I would play him as a number 10. And no, I would play him as a number 10 over Kevin Molino, but that's about it. And I stand. I would play Vadim Demidov as a number ten at this point over Johan Venegas. I'm sorry. I, I, I mean, I stand by that. I think that I think that he is more at ease, and he, I think he's better in that position than Molino is. But he wasn't good, and I think that I think that Bruce Bruce McGuire, Dunord on Twitter had, you know, he he, he just he 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 made i think the point that you need to make which is that adrian heath has talked for a while about how under his management if you play well you'll be rewarded with more time and if you don't play well you're going to sit and the game before johan venegas had a terrible substitute appearance and the fact that he was starting the next game was pretty uh, it was pretty gobsmacking i mean it was like are you what do you, what's going on here? You know, why is this guy getting a start after the way he, he played and, and he wasn't good. You know, it it wasn't, it's, he's been really disappointing. I'll make one final note, which is that, um, it, it seems that people were not as mystified as I was about the last minute illness scratch of Kevin Molino. I was waiting for like people to, to freak out or something. I mean, that's extremely suspicious, right? <laughs> like that was not an illness. That was dude stayed out partying the night before and broke curfew and was being punished. Right. I, yeah. I, I'm complete. I don't know. 
I'm I'm speculating, but like that's the kind of that is what that is what last minute illness means to me, and then miraculous recovery. Uh, they must have pumped his body full of fluids and everything right yeah. before that to be able to make that panel. I mean, Venegas, you know, he's a talented. He's got talent. I mean, he plays for the Costa Rica national team. You know, there's. He, but I just I think what's frustrating for a lot of people is that, um, you know, um, he doesn't hustle. I mean, he waits for the ball to come to him, and then he doesn't look up when he takes the ball. Looks to be an opportunity. A lot of times, he he dribbles into into trouble. Trying to um, you know create something to happen, which more than likely he wants to. We wants to have a call gone his got his way, and I think that's that's one of the things that 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 that, that people get frustrated about is you know as a coach myself, I I want someone who's willing to run after the ball, who's been able to provide pressure, and and I and at times I feel that Johan when he's out there he he he's just he disappears, he gets mm-hmm. he gets swapped swapped in trying to trying to trying to create something. Yeah. So let, let's move on to the happier times, right? So then we go over to Montreal, and Montreal are currently at that point in a four-game skid, uh, just the skidding right in their underpants. Um, and uh, Minnesota are terrible away. So, right, uh, you know, basically Stop per- perfect matchup. Movable object. Yeah, exactly. Um, so uh, we started off... Absolutely miserable. Or I guess we should start with the fact that there were, I think, five changes in the starting lineup, including the return of Mark Birch back from injury. And I, earlier in the season, thought that he was done forever with his career. So I, I congratulate him on proving me to be a dumbass. Uh, um, Christian Ramirez back from injury after a month. Miguel Ibarra back from uh, a psychical uh, injury inflicted by Adrian <laughs> Heath. Um, uh, Kevin Molino back from uh, you know his hangover. Uh, who else was in there? I don't know. Someone else. Um, oh, Ke- Colin Martin making an appearance because uh, Cronin is still out and Colin Warner is uh, you know not as good as we need in that and role. Calvo returning from his wife giving birth to their child. Oh, yeah, yeah. Congratulations, the Calvo family. Yes, congratulations to them. I think that was the most complete lineup we've had in a while, though, I think, right? Missing Cronin, and then that's pretty much your feasible starting 11 that we had at at the beginning. Yeah, yeah. And and so, but we started, and it was the same results, right? The previous two games, we gave up goals in the first five minutes uh, because apparently all the opposition teams want that surly special where if if uh if you score in the five minutes so all the all of them the team team players all go to surly after the game and ask for their beer and apparently probably hopefully get it because they usually deserve it for kicking our asses um uh but this game we we waited until the eighth minute uh to concede and that was from uh this guy i don't watch montreal much but but Blarim, uh i'm gonna butcher it did Zamali, Zamali is they all pronounced Zamali. There we go. Thank you. Um, he does this little give and go. Uh, he was fantastic all game, and then the ball ends up at uh, Bernier's feet, and he blasts it in. There were so Terrible many defending. Minnesota players ball watching. Yeah, you can if you rewatch it. It's it, there are four guys, literally just next to Zamali, just staring. And yeah, it was it's wild. It was embarrassing. And then um, three minutes later, uh, Jerome Tisson gives up a handball in the box. And um, at that point, Colin Solberg, uh, a, 
um, was standing next to me in the bar and said, uh, I, I actually, I forget it involved obscenities and the game is over. We should all go die or something like that. And, you know, <laughs> magical Ignacio Piatti, one of my favorite players in MLS puts the ball just to the side of Shuttleworth, easy save and voila change of game. It was pretty wild how things changed after that penalty. I mean, that Montreal just, the wind was knocked completely out of their sails. And for Minnesota, it was like, oh, we got off the hook. Like, get out of jail free. And suddenly they started playing like they knew what they were doing. It was a wake-up call. I think it was interesting that also after uh, Shuttleworth saved the ball, that Thiesson was the one that kicked the ball out of bounds right away. Like, he's you know, the one that created the, the penalty was able to Make sure the ball was clear this time to be able to know. No, but it was it was it was interesting watching them just react. And sometimes the action is in the reaction. And I think that was one of the situations where, where um, you know, um, the midfield was was something that they were that the other team was giving up, and we were just beginning to use the midfield, and we even used that. Um, and it became really interesting after that. What was what was also interesting though was the way in which the midfield wasn't used at the same time. I mean, the game was just end to end. Minnesota got a lot better during that second half, but the the game was just like it was as if just like no midfield. Let's just there's lava in the middle of the field or something like that. Yeah. You can't touch it, lava, and you've got to kick the ball over. And it was just booted back and forth. It was really end to end. The kind of game where if you watch Minnesota. Uh, it's like the NYC FC game this year where you just watch it and you're like, oh my God, this is either going to be a breakthrough for Minnesota or we're about to give up 13 goals in, in one minute. And um, Breakthrough. Sometimes it works. Sometimes, uh, most of the time it does not. Um, the Vancouver game was very similar. I mean, Vancouver and Minnesota, Vancouver is probably the closest team to Minnesota's style in the league, such as that don't care about possession, barely have a midfield just kind of counter, try to counter, hit on counter. the counter even when the counter's not available. Like, mm-hmm. yeah. I think I think a lot of that comes from Ibsen doing his crazed man thing, yeah. right? I mean, he is, when he starts going, he's just effing crazy, and he's, he's ch- dogging people. He's uh, making really quick passes, um, which is great, but I just, I don't think, and I've said this many, many episodes before this, but uh, so I'll keep on saying it. We just don't have someone who's uh, mobile enough to cover all the ground that Ibsen is uh, vacating, right? Mm-hmm. We just don't have someone, Cronin, Martin did, didn't do a very good job. Um, he he let let his man go on that first he goal, got a second but he didn't, eventually card. he had a better game, but. He got a yellow card in the second minute, which really didn't help things for him. Yeah. Um, so, so then the game continues on and five minutes later, Ibsen, uh, genius that he is, absolutely was passing this ball in order to get a PK. He definitely just basically kicks the ball up just so he can get the guy in the arm, get the PK. And it was a PK. It's, it's, you know, as harsh as it is. And then Molina scores. And after that, that's when, that's when the game was, it wasn't our game, but uh, I thought we really need to make these these chances pay because we have we have the upper hand in the second this second part of the first half and uh, and we didn't make it pay. Yeah, and it was actually interesting to, for once for me at least, agree with with Heath and what he said in, in, in at halftime was when in the interview was 
saying that this is our game to win. We should win this game. And and I agree. I mean, we were using, we were getting the opportunities. We were, we were doing a lot of that. And it's just, just trying to figure out if the ball, for crying out loud, was going to go in or not. So, um, Second half, uh, Minnesota comes uh, comes out and, and Montreal uh, took that that first bit there they were they had the upper hand they came out of the gates uh and uh the ball gets headed down and jamaili uh sends in this amazing amazing shot it was like half volley weird yeah yeah, half volley weirdly falling over uh the ball just the way it flew in the air it was beautiful and one of those goals that um you can't really begrudge the other team for for scoring because it, it was well, it, it was, was a beautiful blast. strike. Yeah. yeah, so half volley, off a header, bounce, just took took your shot and just placed it right in the corner. All you could do was watch. I watched that goal yeah. a few times and I really I couldn't figure out who to blame on our side. Like Colin Martin, who was the guy closest to him when he took the shot, like came out and challenged the shot. It was just. You know, there there are little things here and there, but it was a good play. So I mean, you have to give yeah. my I mean, there's trail credit. There's some 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 goals you just have to. I mean, there's not not much not much you can do about that. They, um, you know, and then uh, after that, I think it's just five minutes later when uh, Ibsen yet again just uh, has the ball in the box and just chips it to the back post, and there's Calvo and Ramirez and Calvo. Uh, gets the attention, but the ball flies over his head, and Ramirez is just unmarked at the back post and just heads the ball in. Uh, a very easy goal, uh, and <clears throat> then he goes over and does uh, does a my wife Valerie is pregnant uh, celebration. So it was good. He was back for his first start since the injury, back to scoring. Uh, I didn't think he had a very good game, but he scored, and that's that's what matters. Yeah, and you know. Coming back from injury, he looked like he was coming back from injury. He looked like he was still getting up to the pace of the game. So, yeah, the fact that and he's I'll, I'll say played that, that way um, and still scored is really great. I, I thought that Ibarra, Ramirez, and Finley both had extremely quiet games. They weren't very, they weren't particularly good. Um, uh, but. When you know, because someone was saying that Ibarra did not have a good game, I kind of agree. Um, I don't think he had a bad game, but uh, but when when all three of your main attackers aren't touching the ball much and aren't having a good game, it's really hard to say one of them in particular. There's something going on there, right? Tactically, they're they're being disconnected from their midfield and defense. You know, the rest of the team, and uh, Vancouver's doing a good job. Or Montreal's doing a good job against them, and uh, so I, I don't think it's particularly fair to to blame Ibarra, but it was Ibarra's chance to say you can't, you have to start me and to lay down a marker, and he didn't do that. No, he had to be subbed in at the think sixty sixty third minute or something like that. No, that was Ramirez and Dunlady did that. Ibarra stayed on till the eighty. Eighty, okay, yeah, that was eighty. That's right. Then. Yeah, and 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 people, you know, and now anytime Sam Nicholson's uh, uh, mentioned, people like rib me about it because because my rants about him. But uh, I thought that was a great substitution. He was fantastic. Uh, Nicholson coming in. He. He mm-hmm. runs around. He's he's he is that that's perfect thing for him to do. And I thought he did a a, a very good, adequate job of doing mm-hmm. that, helping helping 
uh, you know, run around to his he thing. He was better than um, adequate because he had two plays that changed the game or that could have changed the game, one of them. The yeah. first was he made a very nice cross-field long pass to Finley to put Finley in one-on-one on goal, and Finley hit the shot wide. But it was a really brilliant pass from Nicholson. I mean, he had an open field that wasn't through traffic, but he weighted it perfectly for Finley. And then the second play was he made the run that pulled Laurent Simon and the Montreal defense off of Abu Dunlady. Uh, and then Dunlady. I thought that was Finley. Who, thought, no, Finley made oh, that Finley run. Made, that was Finley. That, made, yeah, no, Finley, Finley made that passed run. it, I thought. And Nicholson. No. No? Okay. I promise. I have it wrong? Yeah, because I just rewatched Finley, that. Then Nicholson just made a very nice pass, but he didn't make that run. Okay. Yeah. Yeah, and Nicholson drew a, uh, another really good foul um, when Cabrera start. We'll talk about Cabrera eventually when Cabrera started to just melt down. Um, Nich- Nicholson was a part of that, so I good. I think that, and you know, we give Heath a lot of shit for his bad substitutions, and I thought that that was good. I thought also Abu Dinladi coming in uh, and giving him thirty minutes was good. R- Ramirez he got his goal, but he you know he's coming back from hamstring. Don't press your luck. He wasn't particularly great and so you know why not put in the guy who can run around and you know he'll be offside a little bit but when he's on he's he's on and I, I thought I thought that that was a, a a great move as well um I did think the game was going to a draw though right I mean the game really settled down uh you know it was getting chippy but um I, I just I didn't neither team really felt like they were gonna have the edge until the 89th minute uh, as you said, Alex, Finley makes that run, draws t- two defenders, or draws a defender, and then Simon, Simon um, waits a little bit. And then Abu Dinladi sends in that, that it just it was just a right bastard of a shot. He, I mean, he sends himself flying through the air as he's shooting. Um, I, I heard it called the Dun, Dinladi dagger. Um, I am calling it the spent rod because it caused the absolute... Montreal meltdown that we'll talk about. It was, uh, I, I mean, it was beautiful. Have we see. had a moment like that this season? Am I just blanking of like a best goal of the year? I think we've had a late winner. Yeah. I think we've had a lot of a lot of moments that that's happened to us. Yeah. So it was nice to be able to be on the on the other side of that. Where, uh, but well, no, I mean that only the, the final Mige- like the Miguelie Barra header. I can think of. Oh yes, but, that was yeah. yeah. That I mean that was, was so. The the bar header we were like pressuring right I mean yeah and we were at home and we, everyone was was just willing the ball to go in the net which was fun this one was so unexpected it was yeah. just wild and and it it ended Mon- I mean Montreal season is over it ended their season with that and that was brilliant I love that yeah that was that was just uh, amazing to be able to see him just touch the ball into space. And when he got enough space, I thought he was going to try to play it back to the middle or maybe try to play it to Finley as he was dropping back to the middle. But no, he just saw an opening. He just I don't even know if he looked up. But he just touched the neck button and just, and, just, and just drilled that ball. That was one of the things yeah. about, uh, about, about the Lottie coming out of college is that everyone said that he had a real powerful shot. We have never seen it, really, and, until yeah. this game. Yeah, oh man, that was it was, it was yeah. the Minnesota goal of the year. No, yes, I agree totally. I also think that um, you know his his. So I thought he was fouled because I th- uh, you see the defender 
trying to stop it, but then you realize yeah. that he was he was maybe like two feet, three feet from him. Yeah, it was just, all his 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 switching of leverage of power and his yeah. hips where he just sent it and he just went off balance. It's just one of those shots that you just. Yeah. Hopefully we can make goal of the week this year. So this and, this week. So and, and I want to talk about the Montreal meltdown because it's it's such a delightful thing. And and I realized uh, after the game that you know fifty five one was derelict of duty. Um, sometimes uh, lately, you know, it, it's hard to kind of get your head above water to to write these kind of features. But there's a long history of min, of Montreal meltdowns, particularly even against Minnesota. That um that I wish we would have told those stories, and we'll try to do it next year for for the next Montreal game. But but among them are there's this guy named Adam Braz, who was is now the technical director, and he was just a crazy man who um uh, you know would always get red cards in games, and and Bruce McGuire will will tell the story of of uh, one time them in Minnesota, and the anthem ends, and someone just yells five minutes till meltdown, Braz. And then 10 minutes into the game, Braz attacks someone <laughs> and gets a red card. Um, Jeremy Olsen, uh, or, you know, who does a lot of photography for 55-1 in, in Minnesota, has this great picture of, um, is it Nick DeSantis? It's one of the minute Montreal guys choking another Montreal guy um, uh, in, a, in a game against Minnesota. That, um, they just are a crazy fucking team. Uh, they're, they're led by crazy people. They and somehow their players end up crazy. It, there's some sort of like, uh, you know, just LSD rage laden, <laughs> uh, poutine in that locker room that just makes them crazy. And so watching them melt down because basically after the game, Joey Saputo, the owner, wrote an apology letter to fans. Nick DeSantis, the vice president, who was used to be, I think, the president, but was moved out of that role because he was so bad at it, but is still somehow in charge of things. Um, he uh, was trying to convince players to stop trying to get Mauro Biello, the coach, fired. I mean, it is so freaking fun to watch because it's just, it's just, it's like a, a freaking soap opera, a Quebecois, uh, you know, absolute meltdown uh, soap opera. It's, it's a, you know, the Quebecois, yeah, I don't know, passions or something like that. Uh, oh, beautiful. Beautiful moments. I I had fun reading the, the the um, the Canadian newspapers and trying to translate that uh-huh. to Google Translate to see some of the things that they would say, and it was just, you know, from from everyone should be ashamed that yeah. you know. Well, that article, la ma, la ma, uh, is it le marmite uh, a sauté? The the uh, the kettle is off the boil. Um, I'm, I mean, totally the headlines were just so interesting, yeah, just yeah. so fun to read. And we're like, wow, we did that. Oh, so beautiful. We and, and we were the ones also, the last time we played them, uh, we beat them to prevent them from getting into uh, the playoffs. This was right before they went to MLS. We got into the last playoff spot, so we relegated them to MLS, and it continues. It gives me so much joy. Screw you, uh, Montreal. So... <laughs> Anything else you guys want to say about that game? Any final? We we can go on to the. We'll just say about this weekend, second to last home game uh, against Dallas. Another team in a total death spiral. I think they're already dead, and no one has actually noticed. It's six cents basically. Um, uh, and so 
the the question from Jezza Penguin is how do you see us taking three points from the spiraling out of control Dallas uh easily is the answer? No, I'm just kidding. <laughs> there I mean they're still a good team. Who would have th- but... thought that we would be relishing playing Dallas at this time of year? I mean they've really just they have collapsed. It's crazy. I think what is it now 8 games without a win? Something something pretty nuts and they're out of the, I believe they are out of the playoffs. As, yeah, as they're it stands um, right now. They're uh two. It's basically I think it's San Jose, Houston, Dallas, and RSL. Uh, oh no, Real, Real Salt Lake are both really too. surprising. Pet key, yeah, pet I key mean, magic. Yeah, um, yeah. I think that I mean I'm. I never really believe that like Dallas can't really be that bad, can they? I, I don't know, but they are there for Minnesota to beat, and if Minnesota wins, they will have as many wins as Dallas. Which is pretty nuts. That's, um, that's crazy. At home, the Loons should should be maybe slight favorites. It's pretty crazy. Yeah. All right. Well, let's uh, let's t- take a break and we'll come back and we've got uh, um, culinary uh, fifty five one, uh, you know, happening. <laughs> Back on the fifty-five-one podcast, I just remembered something. We spent the break uh, talking about the tactics of the game, then you just don't get to hear it, folks. But it reminded me, I didn't talk about the in-game meltdown, which was Victor Cabrera uh, toward the end basically makes like three or four red-cardable fouls, uh, gets yellow-carded for one of them. He just like, he tries to like just absolutely lay out Molino and Nicholson and um and eventually at the end of the game because he has not murdered anyone is i think upset and then tries to come after um Kevin Molino and then there's a big dust up between the players and he wasn't even yellow carded for that he was carded earlier but he was not carded for coming and trying to attack another player and so he should have been he yeah. should yeah and i'm i'm i was like amazed at that um so anyway, that 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 was like the in in game meltdown. But but what we learned from that is that Johan Venegas makes a good bouncer. So yeah. So there's an an additional thing you can add to his resume that you know he was the one that went out and and became um, you know the wall that Trump Trump six to six to build just to be <laughs> able to stop uh, him from uh, you know getting to Molino and and it was just interesting to see him. Do that, but no. I mean, it was just one of those things that you see, and you're like, "Well, what's going to happen next?" You know, is it going to be, uh, um, you know, it's going to be a brawl going on? And but the referees, they have, they have jurisdiction until they feel like they have to. And yeah. I don't know if they just happen to leave, yeah, right away, like, or they didn't see it. Sorry, or dude, I, I got a, it, I got a date, Tinder. Yeah. You know, let me just say uh, one more thing about Johan, the bouncer of Vegas. <laughs> he is. I do not enjoy watching him pass the ball. Or lose the ball in the dribble, but when he is running with the ball, it's very pleasing to the eye. He is so balanced and upright when he runs. It's it's like the it's like the opposite Miguel Abar, where Miguel Abar is like hunched over like a Scooby Doo monster. Like like <laughs> Johan is, is standing upright and he is he's just like it, it's it's really pleasing to watch him run with the ball. Of course, then he immediately it, gives it away and it's less pleasing. But right. 
Yeah, I mean, he's walking upright, but he's not looking to where he right. where yeah, there might yeah. be an open opportunity. So Miguel would have gotten away with it if it weren't for you meddling kids. ML Blazing uh, says. I work outside in business. This is this is this quest, first question has no relevance to anything. I work outside in business settings. I, uh, yeah, working. He works outside. Ideas for a classy hat that stays cool but will keep the sun off my face and neck because he he uh, is a landscape architect. Uh, anyone have any good suggestions here? A hat? Yeah, I mean, I guess he's looking for one of those like. Fan hats that uh, dirt ball hats, baseball caps that has the uh, little flaps in the back or something like that. I, I don't I know. I thought he meant like a safari, like a uh, safari. Yeah, that's hat. what I was thinking. A safari hat with I've like got a some fan safari hats you can borrow. With, They're the, up with on the, the wall. fan built into inside with a little motor on it, so it's always blowing air. But with beer things on top, so you can work. Yeah. yeah. Uh, uh, Mike Sohn asks, uh, "Where can I get the best papusa in the Twin Cities?" Um, you want to answer this one? No, you. <laughs> I, um, I'm not. I'm not a. a I'm a huge. Uh, I'm not a huge uh, Salvadorian. Um, um, I'm not experienced in the Salvadorian cuisine, but I know there's a couple of spots over in, uh, over by Lake Street. I know there's one over at Mercado Central. And there's a, another one off Cedar that I've been told are pretty decent. But the problem is, is you can't really get like truly Salvadorian pupusas in here because of uh, those pupusas. From what I know, have like. Like the masa or like the um, whatever is it the material that they make the the the, the breading whatever that, that they it they you know in in the Salvador they put a little bit of cheese into it so it's got a little cheese grain into it for some reason they can't can't duplicate that here or it becomes too expensive because of the resources and so huh. so yeah so those are the those are the only two spots that I know um, um, when I, the only place I really had like really amazing pupusas was in the Bay Area in uh, in Oakland. Uh, yeah, I was in Oakland where we had uh, some really good pupusas, but that was you know ten years ago. So, um, Kyle Eliason wants to know uh, for you, Rodrigo, the best Peruvian restaurant in the Twin Cities, and Alex, uh, best Dutch restaurant in the in Philly. Go, Alex. Well, there are no Dutch restaurants. The Dutch don't have a cuisine like the English. There's no cuisine for Dutch people. The best restaurants in Amsterdam and the best restaurants in Holland are all Indonesian restaurants. I don't know of any Indonesian restaurants in Philly. So this is an unanswerable question. There's nowhere you can get panna kuchen? No. We're back to the question of um, best Peruvian uh, restaurant. Unfortunately, there hasn't been a um, Peruvian restaurant in the Twin Cities probably in the last six, seven years. Um Back in its early in renditions, there used to be a restaurant called Machu Picchu on Uptown, and that one was probably the most decent. Then there used to be this um, one um, over in the Bloomington area, right off of 35 and 60th, I think, that um, used to sell a lot of seafood. I still it was right next to the Cub Foods. You still I don't I haven't driven that way that in a long time, but that you. A couple of years ago, it was still the building was still unoccupied. It used to have the signs there, and then there used to be one in Plymouth. I never got to go that way, but there are restaurants who include similar um, uh, styles of, of Peruvian food. My best bet is um, Ecuadorian food. We my, my next best things to be able to get a taste like that, or you know, uh, if you really want some lomo saltado, I can always cook it up. Hmm. Just 
hit me up on a DM and I'll give you a price and whatever. So. <laughs> <laughs> I'm actually going to do that. So, uh, Jim at New School says, who's the Simone Augustus of MLS? Um, where is she playing right now and how long before Chris Wright gets Manny to sign her? Can you explain this uh, reference, Alex? Um, well, <laughs> you're asking the guy who lives in a city with no WNBA team. Uh, Simone Augustus is one of the, the Lynx top players. Um, I kind of figured that she was like the Simone Augustus of, of Minnesota United was Ibsen, right? Because sort of an experienced, well-traveled player. Um, I don't know of MLS. I don't know enough about her or her career to make that. I don't, I don't really know what Jim's referring to when he makes that, when he wants, when he, he, I don't know what he wants us to say when, when making that comparison. Uh, then I'll go right to Eric Nelson <laughs> has two questions. Yeah, it's all right. Thank you for failing someone that one. Should, uh, someone Jim, should tweet at us. Jim, Jim can just give us the correct answer. Eric Nelson wants to know uh, Chicha Marara or Inca Cola. That is a tough, tough, tough answer. What are we? What are we asking? When um, we're asking this? Chicha Marara is a uh, Peruvian drink made out of um, um, purple maize. So okay. uh, and then sold. As refreshment, it's similar to Mexican Jamaica. It's purple. My kids love it. My six-year-old is probably your favorite thing, and ask my dad to make it for him every every time. But if I were to choose, I would have to say Inca Cola, which is the golden cola, which is actually for a long time was a rival of Coca-Cola in Peru, to the point where, you know, what 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 the competing businesses do with each other, conglomerates, they buy each other out. So eventually, yeah. the Coca-Cola bought, bought out Inca Cola, and now. It's being bottled in New Jersey now, so. <laughs> uh, Jersey Cola. Eric Nelson also asks, how long of a heave cry should we expect from Rodrigo if Peru makes the World Cup? As long as I can hold my breath. I don't know. Uh, I mean, they have, do, they have a, do they still have a chance? Place. They do have a chance. They're in fourth place. Oh, tied with Argentina, okay. yeah. They're tired with Argentina. They play Argentina next. Um, so a, I mean, even if we end up being in sixth place, we still play, uh, we play the, uh, New Zealand, right? Yeah. We play New yeah. Zealand or, um, whoever is the other team. And you also um, need Chile to, to really screw up. Yeah. Well, Chile will screw up. So usually that's, that's, uh, yeah, the relationship between Peruvians and Chileans when it comes to soccer, has always been competitive. I think, I don't know. I, I, I think our chances is if we can get out of, out of, out of Argentina with a, with a tie, I think it's um I think it's doable. I mean, I don't really. I mean, I think Peru you know was able to defeat Ecuador in in, in Ecuador and that's never happened before. So it was with uh with a lineup of uh you know, not all all of our stars are. You well, know, what's so special about this team? This Peruvian team. How come they are ahead of Argentina and Chile and, and these other big these other big countries? Well, this is the big the the, the big wonderful thing about uh the Comebol is that all these all these teams are so close to to each other and the competition um is, is so great but i think peru ever since the uh the, the last couple of uh, copa americas has always put a, a good showing in finishing third or finishing fourth but i also think this is one of the first times that uh we've had a um a um dt um uh a coach that's that's been given the the the, the freedom to do what he what he wants, and also to be able to be with the program more than one year, I think. Uh, I think the uh, I think uh, Guerrero is, is great forward. I think Cueva 
is is a great um you know midfielder um Farfan is is a veteran and he finally was just uh, really reintroduced to playing for Peru I think our defense is one solid I really in, enjoy Peruvian's goalie Gallegas uh, even though he was hurt uh he's playing decently uh Rui Diaz who is playing in Mexico who was one the equivalent of the golden boot in Mexico I think uh, at least two out of three years so we have goal scoring opportunities our midfield seems to be decent uh we Peru's always played um what people like to refer to as as pretty soccer it's always what is the is the, the touch the open space on us and it's just this one time that everything's finally clicking all together all these players have been able to play with each other for this past year and a half. Been able to be mostly for two Copa Americas. Jordi Reina was in the previous Copa America when he was able to to start doing that. I think our chances are decent. I mean, my dad always tells me that all he wants to do is um, be able to watch Peru play in the World Cup in his lifetime. And I think that's a dream that he's passed down to me. And I'm, hopefully I get to see it. Uh, they not been in the World Cup. They've been in the World Cup, but it just hasn't been since probably. Uh, how old am I? Almost four, yeah, almost almost thirty to forty years. I think really? It was eight, yeah, eighty was in the eighties. Was the last time they were in the wow. World Cup. Wow! And it comes with the uh, Teofilo Cubilla, Cesar Cuetos. I have a good Cesar Cueto story because my dad's friends with him. Does so a nice good draw. Does Does Go Peru play? Sorry, does Peru play? Where does Peru play at some? Where where does Peru play its games? Because I know that that like Bolivia doesn't Bolivia play at like some crazy altitude, especially when they're playing Uruguay or something. Peru usually plays their their home games in in Lima, uh-huh. uh, in in the National Stadium, but that's been in renovation as the past year. So they've been playing at the Universitario uh, Stadium, but they've also been playing games, and this is kind of the unique thing, because usually you know the national team games are played at the at, at the capital, which is Lima. But they've also played games like in Arequipa outside of all the other places, and that's kind of drawn the attention and also drawn the, the 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 interest even more. Being able to go to these um, other regions in the country to be able to either play exhibition games or play um, play um, World Cup qualifying games. So I, I think you know the the formula is is being brought into. Last time they were this good, and I was this excited. Mildly, because I don't want to jinx anything, was back in 2004, and so, um, and that was when we uh, when we had you know Claudio Pizarro and um, I think maybe the last couple of years of Chorriano Palacios, um, still 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 trying to get that out there. I I think honestly, like Peru has a lot of good talent that is good for scouting, and every once in a while I send my tweets out to my scouting report. <laughs> Of mm-hmm. Peruvians playing playing in the outside in the world, of who they should be keeping out to uh, to the uh, United Twitter handle. Hopefully, somebody will be able to catch that. But it's 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 just interesting. You know, there's a, there's a lot of players that are now playing in the MLS. Um, I think one with one of the New York teams, the other one with the Orlando team, and then we have Jordi Reina with uh, mm-hmm. with Vancouver. And uh, I, I mean, I thought I thought Jordi. Is a really, really up and coming talent, and hopefully we'll be able to see more of that. At least I like to see more of that, and I'd like to see more of that inclusion as well, too. Specifically with uh, the couple of expansion teams that are coming up, so we'll see. I mean, I'm hopeful. I'm also up. I'm also. I know we have to play Argentina. We have to deal with Messi. We have to deal with all that. Um, but um, I, I hope for. I'm hoping. Hopeful for a draw, 
and then I'm um, having new having to see what else we do the rest of the way. I mean, on October 6th, nobody called me. Nobody tweeted at me any updates, nothing like that. I, I I swear I will I will unfollow, block anything. I might just put my phone away that day. Um, it's an interesting day in our household because my wife is um, Mexican, and so my kids have to choose between Mexico and Peru when 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 uh, it's on TV, and so it's interesting on the dynamics of how that is. But mm. yeah, no, I mean the Comebol has always been an interesting, interesting, and these these last. This last leg of it is it's super close. I think a lot of teams are divided by three points. So your kids, if it's uh, Peru, Mexico, or the U.S., who are they cheering for? Uh, depending if, who's all, depending, all three of them depending, are playing Are we talking? Are we talking? Are we talking? Uh, U.S. women national team or men's national? Men's. Team? We're all we're all talking men's. If so, if they're all in the same group in the World Cup, who who who's? My kids more than likely will cheer for Mexico. Okay. Uh, but they have more Peruvian gear, better Peruvian gear than, than Mexican <laughs> gear at home. That's something that my my father in law has always been like. Well, how is it that they always get you know better gear and all the other stuff? And I was like, well, that's because my mom and my dad when they come visit us, the first thing that they bring every every year they bring a new jersey for everybody to wear. So we that's have a lot of those. Uh, yeah, and it was really interesting because when we went. Um, and if I might just, we went, we were able for our, our, our one of our family trips, for summer trips, we went to a Copa America game in mm-hmm. Chicago where Argentina was playing. It was the Panama, no, it was, uh, I forget who was, who they were playing. And uh, uh, my son was wearing a Cholo Sotil uh, jersey. And as soon as we were, and we're walking up to like the sky section of, of the stadium and uh, a lot of Peruvian fans were there, and they were like asking if they could take pictures with my son or take pictures <laughs> of my jersey of my son because they were like, you know, no one really have seen a, a, an old school seventies uh, yeah, yeah. jersey in a long time, and so it was nice to be able to to be able to uh, have that moment, and as yeah. well as, as as a great game for Argentina that day. So yeah, well, um, uh. Rodrigo, thank you for joining us. Uh, t- what is the your Twitter handle? Where can people? My Twitter it? handle is RSC Spoken Word. Um, yeah, tweet me questions, DMs, whatever. Uh, you know, just go ahead. Uh, I think. Well, to back to the early question about Peruvian restaurants, I think the best Ecuadorian restaurant is probably Chim- Chimborazo. And maybe if anyone's ever been to it, that's probably that's the closest up on thing. Central in in northeast. That yep. is mm-hmm. one of my favorites in Twin Cities. Um, uh, Alex, uh, you are Alex Sheaf. Uh, I'll just give people that for you. I'm Wes at MN Nice FC. Thank you, Alex. We will uh, talk to you soon. Go find some Indonesian food in in uh, um, uh, uh, Philly and go Wherever celebrate it is, Dutch, Dutch colonialism. Yeah. Um, <laughs> All right. Thank you, listeners. We will uh, we'll see you very soon. <laughs>